Rarely do I get joined by two ruckus makers, but that's the reality for today. And I'm, I'm glad that was the reality uh, because my guests are absolutely wonderful human beings and highly effective leaders that we can learn a lot from. Uh, in our conversation, we're going to hear some very raw, real stories. Like, how would you bounce back if faculty members told you, you know, what you're doing here, you're ruining the school. How would you respond? And then from another perspective, as principal, how do you push and challenge and encourage your faculty to really see and hear your students uh, to, to so that they don't have anywhere to hide? Because they might be needing something, and if you miss what they need, it could lead to, to really dire consequences. So we'll get into that and more, um, and we'll also be talking about Harvard's Certificate in uh, School Management and Leadership, which is an incredible opportunity. I, I highly encourage every ruckus maker to check out. Well, hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back with the main content of today's episode right after a short message from our show sponsors. Transform how you lead to become a resilient and empowered change agent with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty while you collaborate with a global network of fellow school leaders. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose virtual PD is equipping thousands of teachers with the skills they need to create engaging, equitable, and rigorous virtual or blended classes. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Monique Burns-Thompson is a senior lecturer of business administration at Harvard Business School and faculty co-chair of the Certificate in School Management and Leadership. An accomplished social entrepreneur, Monique co-founded and served as president of Teach Plus and New Leaders for New Schools. She previously served as an assistant principal in Washington, D.C., special assistant to the superintendent of the Philadelphia Public School District, and as a leadership coach and consultant for 14 Massachusetts charter schools. Mary Grassa O'Neill is a senior lecturer on education and faculty director of the school leadership program at Harvard Graduate School of Education. She is a founding faculty co-chair for the Certificate in School Management and Leadership, an innovative collaboration with Harvard Business School. She achieved national recognition for her educational leadership as a superintendent, principal, 
teacher and curriculum advisor. Thank you, Mary and Monique, for joining me on the show. Thanks very much for having us. Thanks for having us. This is exciting. Ah, the pleasure is all mine for sure. I'd, I'd like to start with Mary uh, in, in her experience in inner city Roxbury, where, where you were a principal, Mary. And you told me in the pre-chat that you felt like a complete failure. And I wanted you to, to share that story. Uh, I think it'll resonate with the ruckus maker listening because often we feel challenged. We feel like a failure. And I hope uh, we can learn some lessons from your experience. Uh, thanks, Danny. It, it was a privilege. I was excited and I accepted the position there with great enthusiasm. And I recall the superintendent at the time offering me the principalship and I accepted and he said, but Mary, you haven't asked what school it's at. And I said, oh, it doesn't really matter. Whatever school it is in Boston, I'm happy to go there. And he said, how would you feel if the union said the school should be pushed off the cliff on which it was built? And it has the highest number of teacher assaults of all 130 schools in, in the city of Boston. And I said, that's fine. So I went there mid-year. And honestly, if I said up, the faculty said down. If I said over, they said under. If I said stop, they said stop. If I asked someone to do something, they felt like I was, you know, putting a burden on them. And if I failed to ask them to do something, I was insulting them because they had always done it. And we were, it was, a, it was an interesting school. Fabulous kids. It is never the kids. It's always about the adults. Kids are wonderful. Um, they want to learn. They want to succeed. Their parents want them to succeed. And, and it was working with the adults that was such a big challenge. And I recall one day in the cafeteria, we had a chance to write a grant, which we did, which extended our school day by two hours and required us to have Saturday classes. So that will show you the desperation. Um, and we were granted this wonderful opportunity and the newspapers made fun of it. No one was doing extended time then and we were doing it. And I recall one of my lowest moments in educational leadership was when a teacher, just before we opened the first full year with this thing called Project Promise, a teacher said, Mary, I hope you're happy. You've destroyed this school. For myself, I have always believed that schools are the education arm, and it's our job to make sure we help kids reach their full potential, and it's all about education. And the school, because the kids were almost all from projects, and they were almost all African-American and some Latino kids, people loved the kids, but they didn't extend it to what we should be expecting from kids and what kids should be learning. So that was a low moment. We had many low moments that first year. It was very, very challenging, but it was so worthwhile when we were able to turn it around and we eventually won national recognition for the improvement the students had made. And it was in the academics, but also in how they learned to be. So I have a funny story about the first assembly. Maybe we don't have time for it. We ought to hear from Monique and I can tell you that later. Okay, we do we do love funny stories, so maybe we'll get into that in the assembly. And yeah, that did catch my ear in terms of uh, obviously there was a student um, achievement and uh, performance aspect of that, but you said the students how you know learn how to be as well, which which I, seems interesting. Um, I do have one follow up question before moving to Monique, and I'm just curious how how you um, 
pick yourself up right after receiving very difficult feedback like that too. So I had this, um, I, I don't know, we, we work with a colleague, Monique and I, and she calls it having a North Star, which I never really thought of. But I felt very, very strongly that we could love kids as much as we wanted. But if we were charged with their education, we had to make sure that they got the academic success, the social success, the skills, the resiliency so that they could go on and have many opportunities. I think education is about opening doors of opportunity and making sure people have options. And I felt so strongly about that, that I said, you know, we are going to do this. And with a magnificent team we put together, we were able to do that. Thank you, Mary. And yeah, let's bring Monique into the conversation. And I know you have a very interesting story as well. And in fourth grade, teacher of yours uncovered a, a secret. And I'll, I'll just leave it there and let you explain the rest. Thanks so much, Danny. I very much consider this, although I didn't know it at the time, my origin story for why I moved into the education sector. But um, I think I was a, I considered myself a a typical, uh, very well-behaved student. I was um, always attentive and uh, I loved school and loved learning and had managed to get myself to the fourth grade without being able to read. And my fourth grade teacher was the first person who figured that out, who broke through the infrastructure that I had put in place of sisters and friends who would read things to me and I would just memorize them. And I was very good at participating in class and being in little group projects. So someone would do my writing for me. And I I had this whole, whole network figured out. And Mrs. Mann, my fourth grade teacher, was the one who, um, who figured this out and had an opportunity in that moment to decide really what was going to be my future. Was she going to make the hard play to have me put in special ed, which in those days was a little bit of a life sentence. People didn't get out of the special ed track since the 70s. And, or, was she going to do what she ended up doing, which was finding a reading specialist who she brought in, getting my mom together. The three of them created a wraparound infrastructure for me. They figured out that I was dyslexic. They figured out how I needed to learn how to decode. They created structures in school, after school, and at home for me to continually practice. So that by the end of fourth grade... Uh, I had not only caught up, but but moved ahead. And I had a, a great moment my senior year in high school. I was working at the local ice cream store, scooping ice cream. And this fourth grade teacher came in to class and she's like, wow, you know, is this is this your job? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's my summer job before I go to college. And she looked at me like, you're going to college? I am. I'm going to an Ivy League college. And in that moment, we both looked at each other like there is one person who is absolutely responsible for that trajectory change in my life. And it was her. And I got to tell her and I got to thank her. And I I hope and honestly, I continue to thank her every day of my professional life because the work I do is because There was a teacher 
who believed in me and who had all the resources and the capacity that she needed to address my needs in that moment. And everything I do is helping school leaders and teacher leaders to build that capacity around the students in their buildings. Thank you, Monique. I appreciate that story so much. It resonates, you know, as as educators, we can keep pushing kids along through the system, you know, and this is a great story that champions a a teacher who slowed things down, right, that noticed. And uh, it doesn't sound like, you know, sometimes maybe assigning blame or trying to figure out like why this happened or whatever, just that we're going to we're going to find out a solution. And I love how there was a wraparound between school, you, and mom to make sure that you were a success. And then you bring us to the ice cream shop and you get to share that moment and say, I'm going to college. I'm going to Ivy League college. And thank you for seeing me. I'm just curious. Do you remember by any chance what ice cream you served her? Do you know what she ordered? I don't know. I'm just Maybe you do. My guess is it was mint chocolate chip because the ice cream factory in Brookline was very, very famous for their mint chocolate chip. So we just have lines that wrapped around the corner. (laughs) So most likely that's what it was. Too bad she didn't get a whole hot fudge sundae or something. It was, she certainly more than earned it, right? I can guarantee you she did not pay for it that day. (laughs) That was my second question. So I think it cleared it up for a lot of of ruckus makers listening. Well, you know, that that relationship between her, Mrs. Mann, I think you said, mom and you, it was a great relationship there. And I'd like to, to pivot to uh, another relationship, one that you call a beautiful arranged marriage, right? And the, the origin story of the certificate in school management and leadership. So, Monique, why is this arranged marriage so beautiful? <laughs> well... As you uh, said at the beginning, Mary is the the lead of this work at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, and I'm the lead of this work at Harvard Business School. And our two schools do not commonly co-create together. We do have one other program that we do together that focuses on superintendents, but this is an actual co-creation of new content. And that is new, that's new, new territory. And the beauty of this is that Mary and I, I think between the two of us, completely cover the spectrum of types of education industry experiences that you would want to have. And, and, and our experience is very different. And our wisdom and our superpowers are very different. And because of that, we are continually molding and pushing and and adding perspective um, to this work. And that diversity also expands into the team that we've put together of incredible people, lots of skills, and all the other faculty that we bring into the dialogue. So when we create additional arranged marriages and ask other faculty members to come to the table, they're kind of like, I don't really work with folks from across the river. And we're like, you know what? Mary and I love each other. So it's just going to be great. (laughs) Don't you worry about this mixed marriage. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) So, so that's, that's been wonderful. And, and honestly, the origin of this work 
was based on a couple of really important things. One is the business school does a big alumni survey, probably every 10 years. And in one of the last surveys, it was communicated that in the top three things that Harvard Business School alums care deeply about, the quality of their local public school and the skills of the leaders Mm. of the schools in their community was something that they were very focused on. They were on boards, they were you know, invested in their kids' education. It literally came up in an HBS survey. So the dean Mm. of the business school realized that his constituents were really passionate about something and that he had not a whole lot of control over. So he went over to the ed school to talk to the dean of the ed school about how there, there may be a way to work together. And I think what's really exciting is that their next step, A, was to say, yeah, let's try and figure this out. But it was also to do research and understand what the marketplace needed. And they learn a couple of things in that research. The first is that there are approximately 200,000 principals in the U.S. and half of them have no access to regular professional development. They don't live in communities that are near universities. Their school districts don't have enough money to send them somewhere. And so whatever certificate they came with is the one that they have and they're figuring it out on their own. And that's a problem. The other half who do have access to professional development will tell you, as will their superintendents, that it doesn't focus on leading change processes, leading adults in the building, strategy. None of those kind of systemic components are they learning in their PD. So they're missing kind of key management components of their kind of professional toolkit. And that's something that the business school knows a lot about. We don't know a lot about it in the context of the education space, however, which is where the partnership becomes critical. And that is kind of the, that is the starting point for our work. And I'd love it if Mary would talk about some of that work because it is the thing we both get so excited about every day when yeah. we wake up. That is a great segue, and I'd like to ask Mary that in just a second about content and context, but one thing I do want to highlight for the ruckus maker listening is just uh, the responsiveness through the survey, right, and seeing those results and making a change. So that's so important as a leader, um, uh, listening to feedback and pivoting uh, when necessary. And then uh, I I also loved when you said to your peers, that we're arranging some marriages for you across the river. And this is going to be great, right? Because when you have that enthusiasm, you know, uh, as a leader, I think people uh, catch that too. So that's, that's really important. So thank you for, for highlighting that. So yeah, Mary, uh, okay. So the, the business school has some idea about um, change management and systems thinking and that kind of deal, but they don't necessarily have the expertise that you do in education in the context. So tell us about how the content and the context work together in the CSML program. Well, it was very exciting. The arranged marriages, first of all, that Monique mentions, some of the arranged marriages are what you would expect. It's a little difficult at first as people are getting to know one another. But by the end, uh, they all fall in love with each other. And that's a good thing. Um, And I mean, in love with the work that they're doing together. And what you do in schools is so important. And when we were starting out, honestly, people thought we were crazy. 
We weren't really in the era of Zoom and online was something that somebody else did, not anything that Harvard did. And we had some visionary deans who are awesome. And we found a brilliant person like Monique to be a lead. We had Alan Grossman initially, who was also another brilliant HBS leader. And we had to answer a lot of hard questions like, who is this for? Is this for new and aspiring principals? Is it for experienced principals? Is it for people who are at public schools, public charter schools? Is it for those who are in faith-based schools? Is it for those leaders of independent schools? And we decided it was for all of those. So that was our challenge. How do we create new knowledge for people who are thinking of doing this or have done it for a long time? And how do we mix those people? Because part of what we do in the course is, of course, we have wonderful, wonderful Harvard faculty who are teaching in the course. We also have practitioners, and we call them live case studies. So the whole process is using what is the HBS major way of delivering education and that the ed school uses also uh, not as our sole or major way of delivering education. We have these case studies. So we've searched for principles. We found them from all over the country. They have encountered problems and challenges, and we invite participants in to work with these problems that they have, their problems of practice. And then we have them also look at their own problems of practice and how they might relate to these cases that we're presenting. So they get to do individual work on the platform. They get to work in groups because they're placed in small groups and they have to share and interact with one another. And it's just so funny. One day I was on the elevator at work and this woman came up to me and she said, crowded elevator. And she said, Professor O'Neill, it's so nice to see you. I said, oh, it's nice to see you too. And so she said, I love your course. And I was there really racking my brain saying, I don't remember what class she's in. And she said, oh, well, you don't really know me because you're my professor online, you know, and I'm from Brazil and my team has been staying in touch since we finished the course. We're in touch every couple of weeks. Thank goodness for all the technologies we have and we problem solve together. And so it was just, that was the first experience we have like that, but we've had many since then. Um, So it's amazing what you can do with people you probably won't meet or see and how excited people can get about the teams they get to work with. And we have been blessed by the interest people have shown in the work. And it's different. Monique will talk about the platform, but it's very interactive. You don't do, do anything for more than two or three minutes. So there's no way to get bored or to chill out or to fall asleep because you're always doing something. That's good. And I think uh, here's a great time to pause for a message from our sponsors. But when we return, I'd love to ask Monique about the platform and maybe a juicy case study for us to hear about. Transform how you lead to become a resilient and empowered change agent with Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership. Grow your professional network with a global cohort of fellow school leaders as you collaborate in case studies, bridging the fields of education and business. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by school leaders like Principal Gutierrez using TeachFX. Special populations benefit the most from verbally engaging in class, but get far fewer opportunities to do so than their peers, especially in virtual classes. 
TeachFX measures verbal engagement automatically in virtual or in-person classes to help schools and teachers address these issues of equity during COVID. Learn more and get a special offer from Better Leaders, Better Schools listeners at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Okay, and we're back with Mary Grassa O'Neill and Monique Burns-Thompson from Harvard, and we're talking about the Certificate in School Management and Leadership Program. And yeah, Monique, tell us about the learning platform and one of these case studies. So this platform is super exciting. It's very interactive. It was built specifically by... Harvard Business School to be able to facilitate the case method asynchronously. Um, So there are, it is designed to both hold video cases and then allow the participants to interact with the case as well as interact with each other on, on a large group level as well as on a small group level. In many, there are many moments where it has a lot of what we would call social media features as well. So you can kind of hover over a big map and see where all of the kind of hundreds of people who are online with you at the same time are located. Uh, You get their little bios and backgrounds and you start networking with each other. So you will be put into a team with a lot of diversity because we believe in that. Um, There'll be geographic diversity. There'll be type of school diversity. But you can also, if you would like, hunt down all the people who run schools just like yours who are on the platform as well. So we have found that folks absolutely love the small groups that they're put in. And uh, like Mary said, those become their kind of personal problem solving posses. And that's pretty cool. Um, To give you an example of what um, one of the cases looks like, we have several different types of cases. We have cases that are turnaround cases where a school was um, and it started in a fairly difficult place and came to the district's average or significantly better. And then we have other schools that are already good and are moving to great. And it's important that we showcase both types of schools. It's also essential that we, in every course, showcase a variety of types of schools from urban to rural to suburban to faith-based to private to charter. The whole spectrum will be represented. But the one I'm going to share with you is an urban turnaround. And it happened in North Carolina. The principal is a woman named Janet Moss. This is her first um, school where she's a principal. And the school is 90 percent African-American, the rest uh, Latino. They are 
performing in the teens from a proficiency standpoint when she takes over this middle school. And she is a a white woman who grew up in poverty. Um, So she herself very, very much understands assumptions that are made about poor people. And she is creating a no excuses environment. She clearly states that often adults can hide in students, in schools that are filled with students of poverty and that that was not going to happen at the school anymore. So she goes through the process of laying out all of the different things that she sees when she arrives at the school. And the list is staggering. And the way the story arc unfolds is you as a participant in the course will spend time with Janet Moss at each of her kind of critical decision points along the way, trying to decide what is the best strategy to take with this particular school and this particular school community with the resources she has. How do you bring them from where they are to her vision of where they want to be? And you'll hear, you will brainstorm that with your own team. You'll do it on your own. You'll brainstorm it with your team. You'll hear what Janet did. It's not always perfect what she did. And you'll learn from that too. And you will also learn as the faculty kind of give you new resources to to use along the way. You'll also take that learning. And at the end of each section, you'll apply it to your own context your own problem of practice, and you'll share that with your small team. So the learning arc for this platform is always use your new tools with a protagonist and then test it out in your own context. So use it with the case protagonist and then use it with your own context. And it circles through with multiple different case protagonists in multiple different modules. I love that uh, approach because what I'm hearing is is you're you're exposed to a, a real world story and challenge. That's the case study. You get equipped with more and more resources and more information, so you can view that story from multiple perspectives. Obviously, you're reflecting individually. You're connecting as a group, a diverse group, which your students love who they're paired up with. And then the most important part to me, it bridges the gap from uh, ideas to real application and execution. So from that experience, those tools that you now have, put them into play with where you lead and and people see the results, I'm guessing, uh, pretty quickly because of that model. So thank you, Monique, for sharing that. Can I add one thing? There is just a really wonderful and unique opportunity when you build something like this for a very specific category of professionals. The fact that we can customize this specifically for people who lead schools allows us to go deeper into um, content than we would be able to do if we were trying to be all things for all people. So it's, it's, for us, it's really exciting on our end. And, uh, and we, and we have found that our participants are really excited because they are surrounded by people who are all doing the same job they are doing all over the world. Yeah, 
Uh, thank you for bringing up that point. And I'm just going to kind of put it as a question to the ruckus maker listening. I don't want to reveal any answers, but it's powerful to noodle on. I think a lot of schools sometimes struggle or don't meet the potential that that's embedded in their organization because, like you just said, they're trying to be all things to all people. So how can you niche down and become specific as a school and say, you know what, we want to be known for this and how we uh, serve students and how that might actually propel and accelerate uh, what your school is able to accomplish. So with that, I'm going to turn to to Mary and I'd love to hear um, something that's near and dear to your heart, the importance of a, a school leader's work, but also the joy of it all, right? In, in terms of engaging in this work. Yeah, thanks so much, Danny. Monique beautifully described the work that we're engaged in together and such a privilege to, to get to work with her every day. So you're right. A school has to decide what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. Uh, the situation I found myself in was there were 26 middle schools in Boston and the school I was at ranked last in academic achievement. And that just wasn't satisfactory. And most people know language is the key to learning. And so reading and writing, listening and speaking were really important. And so was math. So we taught reading, writing, and math across the curriculum. Now, you may say, if you haven't really been a teacher, why is that hard in a middle school? And it's hard because most educators think kids learn to read by third grade. And after that, they either get it or they don't. Um, and it's just applying what they learned. But actually, you have to continue it. So it was a whole re-education of folks, a whole change in the way they taught. I remember we brought in one summer this wonderful consultant who was funny and engaging about teaching writing. And he forgot his briefcase and came back on another day. And he got this round of applause, got a standing ovation the day he presented, gets a round of applause when he comes back into the room. And around November, I said to him, how do we know we really have a writing program? And he said, he was highly offended. He said, well, first of all, I've done these sessions and then I've come back and I've done job embedded professional development. What do you mean? Like, so I said, maybe we should collect the writing folders. And he didn't think that was necessary, but we announced we were collecting the writing folders. Well, when I tell you that the sound of cellophane coming off the unopened packages of writing folders in certain corners of the building was deafening, you'll understand that we had a writing program in some places. And it just reminds me of the research. You know, the research says we don't get better because we don't really implement the changes. You know, this is not, I, I come to believe that you can expect what you inspect. So it taught me the importance of inspecting. These same kids who were struggling in the past, once you had one-on-one -on -one conversation, so the whole piece that Monique mentioned about the family, so you had the teacher, you had the counselor, you had the principal in some of these meetings, talking to kids about what it meant to be reading at the 10th percentile. And when you have students one-on-one, -on -one, it doesn't matter what gang they're affiliated with or what group they're working with, they care. No one wants to fail. Everyone wants to succeed. And that was just so clear. And, you know, we worked hard with our students and they worked hard themselves and were able to turn it into a successful model from what had been a struggling model, struggling. And there was a lot to do with diversity too. I'm a white woman. I'm in a school where all the students are students of color. Uh, I remember hiring that first summer that I was there and I remember my boss saying to me, meeting the new teachers, did you hire any white teachers? 
And I looked at him. <laughs> uh, so it was very important that we have a diverse faculty and a diverse leadership team. All of those things that everyone is talking about today, I can't emphasize enough how important they are. Thank you, Mary, for uh, sharing that. And I, I want to stick with you and just ask you real quick. I ask these questions to all my guests. But Mary, what message would you put on all school marquees across the globe if you could do so for just one day? Become a principal and change the world. And Monique, same question to you. Students are our biggest investment in our future. Monique and Mary, you know, I, I usually ask this to, to one person, so I'm going to change the question a bit, but I'd love for both of you to chime in. If you're building a school from the ground up, you're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. Uh, Monique, we'll go to you first. What would be your number one priority building this dream school? I would want to build a dream school where neuroatypical kids like myself we're surrounded by people who believed in their high potential, garnered the resources necessary to tap into that potential, and got all the way to the place where their superpowers were unearthed. Because I deeply believe that every single person on this planet has superpowers, and it is our job as educators to tap into them and unleash them. Yes. And Mary, what would be your number one priority building your dream school? There are so many priorities. It's hard to think to get us down to one, one thing. But we're working with a principal now who has been inspirational. And one of the things he's trying to do with his school is to make sure students can solve big, complex, and unstructured problems. And since we're my school wouldn't be built today. It might take a few days or weeks or years to build. Um, I think that we'd be looking at students who will be retiring in the year 2060 or 2070, depending on what age we build this school for. And we really don't know what the world will look like then. So 50 years ago, the world looked quite different in the tools that we have to use with folks a different. So I would want to be focusing in on um, things that I knew would matter. And it always matters if you can solve big problems because the world has a ton of them. Well, Mary, Monique, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, Monique, what's one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? I want ruckus makers to remember that leaders have so much power in enabling other leaders and adults and students in their building. They are the levers. They are the levers that allow greatness to happen in all corners of their schools. And Mary, what's one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Leadership is joyful work, empowering others to do their best work. Principals do that with teachers and teachers do that with students and empowering others to educate themselves or to be educated is just one of the most important things we can do in this world. Building, We're building people. We're building the next generation of leaders and educators, parents. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. 
If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.